steps and turn to the book of 1 John chapter 2. <clears throat> you know, I remember um, in our early years of marriage, uh, my wife and I, this was before we had children. We had something, I think it was called freedom. No, I say that half kiddingly, but uh, before the kids showed up, you know, I, I used to be a high school pastor. And I remember for a little bit, we would actually attend uh, this other church. They had like a midweek service. And so we would attend and, and it was really nice for us just because we walked in, uh, no one identified me as a staffer or, or, or a pastoral figure. And my, my wife and I, we were just able to worship and then it was refreshing. And of course, afterwards we would dialogue about what we heard and what we learned and how we were strengthened and so forth. And it was really nice. And I remember one particular Wednesday, uh, we got to the church uh, service and the pastor introduced the guest speaker and he came on up and he started uh, to pretty much teach on uh, false teachers and false teachings and he started to kind of rip into that subject. And so he, he was talking about, he was listing books, uh, you know, in, in bookstores, he was calling out names and all this stuff. And I remember afterwards uh, talking about it and, you know, I said, you know, what'd you think? And, you know, my wife, she loved it. She was so refreshed. She was so grateful for the wisdom and the leadership of the church. She thought it was so biblical. And then uh, she asked me, you know, what'd you think? And, you know, I said, you yeah, know, it was all right. You know, because, you know, I, I was so teachable and humble. Uh, but my, my reasoning, it, it wasn't that I was against uh, the content. I, I, I affirmed and agreed with the content, but I, I just kind of felt like, really, I mean, not everyone is going to leave feeling so suspicious and almost afraid. And I just thought, is that really necessary? I mean, we're going to devote an entire service to talk about false teachers. I mean, it's the 21st century. We could Google everything. And so that was my attitude at that time. And then um, a couple of uh, years later, um, I, I saw some of my very own former high school students. I, I saw them veer off in strange teachings. And then I saw them try to lead others down that road. And you know, honestly, even for me now, that, that was one of the more painful experiences uh, that I remember as a pastor. You know, I realize this is kind of sobering for all of us, but if you're joining us, our, we're in a series called Blessed Assurance. We've been journeying through the book of First John. And the series has been fantastic because in a world of uncertainty, what we've been learning are things that Christians can actually have certainty about. So we've learned that, for example, Jesus has actually appeared in the flesh. We've learned that we can actually have fellowship and relationship with God and that our goal, the, the Christian life, is about becoming like him and reflecting lives that reflect him and, and also that we're supposed to love other people, love one another in a supernatural way, but also not love the world. And it's been really great. But this morning, John almost uh, takes a different tone, a sobering tone, almost as if to say, by the way, don't believe everything that you hear all the time. In fact, here's how John puts it. If you look with me in chapter two, verse 18, and we are going to skip around a little bit, but John writes, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that antichrist is coming, so now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Verse 19, they, they went out from us, but they were not of us. 
For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning, let that abide and remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as, as it has been taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And if you could skip and jump ahead to chapter four, verse one, John continues in the same tone. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know, the spirit of God, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You know, I, I realize we just read a lot right now, but, but if I could almost take everything that we just read and kind of condense it and boil it down to almost like this key idea, it seems like what John is trying to communicate to the churches back then and therefore to us is uh, don't believe everything that sounds spiritual. Don't believe everything that sounds spiritual. Instead, be led by the spirit of truth. You see, you know, we, we live in a very uh, spiritual environment. You know, our, our culture is not anti-spirituality. In fact, there's a, a Christian research group called Barna, Barna Group, and they came out with this uh, research back in April of this year. And what they were saying that a growing population in our culture is uh, this group that considers themselves spiritual, but not religious. And that's a growing group where, you know, they affirm there are higher levels of consciousness and that there must be some type of force and thing out there. And, and there's more than meets the eye. So, you know, if you've ever been to Barnes and Nobles, one of the few that remain some of us are like, what is the Barnes and Nobles? We can talk about that another day. But if you go into the spirituality section, it is not empty. There are many, many books. So we live in a very spiritual culture, but that does not necessarily mean that whatever is quote unquote spiritual is of God. John is saying, don't trust everything. Don't believe anything and everything just because it sounds spiritual. Instead, what he's pushing for is, don't believe, but, but be led by the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit who leads and guides us into all truth. You know, uh, I realize that what, what we just read, it's, I, I, there's so many hidden uh, 
assumptions underneath. There's certain logical underpinnings in, in all the things that I just said. And so for the purposes of this morning, for the sake of clarity, uh, we're going to try to excavate what I just said uh, in the text by going through four truths. Four truths. And I think it will help amplify and highlight this idea that we should not believe everything but be led by the spirit of truth. So for those of you taking notes, here's uh, truth number one. And maybe we should start here. It's appropriate for us to start here. But truth number one is that the Christian lives amidst opposing spiritual influences. We live amidst opposing spiritual influences. So one idea that is very popular in in modern day culture is this idea called dualism. Dualism uh, propagates the idea that in, in the world, there is a reality of opposing and equal forces that are pretty much battling all the time, right? So if you think about film, whether it's Star Wars, The Avengers, Harry Potter, even Disney, right? We see dualism. There are opposing forces, ideas, people who are equal in strength, and they're constantly battling. Now, we may be tempted to apply that idea of dualism, of good versus evil, right? Strong versus weak. We, we, right? we might want to apply that to the Christian worldview, but we must be very careful. Because while the Christian worldview affirms a dualistic worldview, it does not affirm dualism. And here's the subtle but massive difference. So dualism says the opposing values and forces are equal in strength. Now, we might be tempted to think, yeah, isn't that kind of like Christianity? I mean, you have Jesus, and you, know, you have the kingdom of God, and you have Satan, and he's the kingdom of darkness, and they're in this battle, and we almost want to view it as two heavily boxers, right, who are in the ring, and they're just duking it out till kingdom come. However, we know, we know from Scripture that Uh, God and all the other hosts, right, heavenly whatnot, they're not equal. God stands far above creation. He is much greater, much more mighty. So although uh, scripture is dualistic, there is good. There is evil. There is a kingdom of God. There is a domain of darkness. Though there's there's two opposing forces and people, they are not equal. So rather than uh, viewing the Christian worldview as two uh, heavyweight boxers, it's more like, In the ring, there is one 250 heavyweight pound boxer and there's a two-year-old toddler kind of running around. That is more of an accurate picture. But even then, God is much more greater in reality. And see, here's why I bring this up. See, on the one hand, uh, this sermon, it's not to scare you. If you're a Christian, you should not be scared. Oh my gosh, there's all these other forces out there. You know, it's not to, to make us overly suspicious and afraid. Because, you know, in fact, here's what John says in 1 John 22. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it for us. He says, uh, 1 John 4, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 4. He says, little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he, that's the Holy Spirit, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So God, the Holy Spirit, whom God the Father has placed in your heart and in your life is greater than anything else, any other opposing influence in the world. However, that does not negate the fact and the reality that there still are opposing influences and forces at work in the world. In the very next verse, John says, they are from the world, the false teachers. 
Therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So you notice he's not saying be afraid, but he is saying be sober-minded. Pay attention because there is a dualistic thing at work here. You know, you know John, he's, he's very big on loving one another. So we have to see how cutting uh, the, the usage of pronouns are, right? You notice how he says there's a they, we versus them. For someone who's always talking about loving one another, that, that's a pretty sharp comment. In fact, you know what he says about the false teachers? In chapter 2 of 1 John, he calls them antichrists, which is pretty high up there on the uh, this meter. If you get called antichrist, you've had a really tough day, right? That, that is not a very friendly thing to say. See, for many of us, when we think about the term antichrist, we think about this figure who's going to come at the end. Uh, and it's true, right? Second Thessalonians 2, Revelation 13, who's going to oppose God in this mighty way. But what John is saying is, no, 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 it's not just something that's going to happen at the end. Even now, presently, those who oppose, those who teach something that's deviant and different, he calls them antichrist. And so the reality of our, of, of, for us as Christians is, yes, God is greater than everything in the world but we still live amidst opposing influences. You know, I remember um, when I was in seminary, there was this uh, news of a growing cult. And you know, I want to be careful when I use that word because I don't want to open up a can of worms this morning. But for our purposes, a, a cult is really any kind of group that takes certain tenets of Christianity, but it just kind of twists it just a little bit in subtle ways. They might even use the same vernacular, right? Bible, Jesus, but underneath there's a different meaning. And uh, there was this growing cult. And so there's a story that I actually had to call someone the other day and verify that it was true. And it indeed is true that one Sunday morning, uh, this, because this cult, what, what they would do is they would actually infiltrate churches and patiently wait, climb into positions of leadership and then lead people astray. And so the story goes that in this one church, the pastor had to stand up and say, by the way, if you're a part of this cult, you're going to have to stand up and leave. And people got up and left. To which I thought, that is not a very smart cult. Like that, <laughs> that's the time when you want to actually be quiet. But wow, okay. In fact, he sent me a picture this morning, the person who, who verified that story, and he took a picture of his church bulletin this morning. And in the church bulletin, it says, that particular cult is not welcome. And so, yeah, God is greater. Oh, we should be confident in God. Oh, we don't have to be afraid, but we should be sober-minded. We must be aware. We live amidst opposing spiritual influences. But now, how do we know? Like, how do we really know something is of, as John would say, the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error, an attitude that is deviant in teaching an idea? And which brings us to uh, truth number two. Truth number two is that the Christian knows an accurate Jesus is the issue. An accurate Jesus, that's really the issue. See, there, there are many things that we can talk about, but at the end of the day, what the Christian can be, how the Christian can know is, well, what do you have to say about Jesus? Jesus is the issue. Namely, do we profess or does someone teach a Jesus of our imagination 
Or do we teach and profess a Jesus of revelation? The Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that the Holy Spirit in sovereignly super, uh, what, uh, superintending the, the authoring of scripture of, of human writers, is that the Jesus that we affirm? You know, like even today, there, there are so many different views of Jesus, aren't there? Some people, they, they believe that uh, Jesus was merely a human being. Uh, he was a good teacher who died under horrible circumstances. He, he was oppressed unjustly. Others, they actually teach that Jesus was divine. He, in fact, was divine, but not human. Uh, the incipient Gnostics of their day, which John is addressing, they actually taught that Jesus was a human being. But occasionally, this, this force called the Christ would come upon him and cause him to do all these miracles. And other times, that Christ would leave this Jesus figure. But at the end of the day, he was just a human being. See, what John pushes for is, what, what, what do you have to say about Jesus? Do you affirm the right Jesus? That's, that's ultimately how we can know what is the spirit of truth versus the spirit of error. I'll read it first. Here's what John says in 1 John 2, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You notice how he makes Jesus, the right Jesus, the one who is in a Trinitarian relationship with God. He makes that the issue. He says again in 1 John 4, 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Why, why does the accurate Jesus of the Bible matter? Why is that important? Well, two reasons. For one, there is an issue of authority. Namely, are we the authority? Do, do we get to determine who and what Jesus is? Or do we affirm the authority of the scriptures? That the Holy Spirit, who helped author scripture, has the say in who Jesus is. But secondarily, not only is there an issue of authority, but there's an issue of, of the gospel. There's a gospel issue. See, Jesus must be both divine and human to be uh, salvation for us. See, in his divinity, he, he couldn't have been born with a sinful nature. But in his humanity, he had to perfectly live out righteousness and then take the penalty, the punishment for our sins. See, you know, you know there are, are three crux issues that every deviant teaching, they will get something wrong on one of these three points. And, and, and the issue is, when we look at the cross, when we look at Calvary, there are three questions we can ask. Question one, who is it that hung on the tree? Is it Jesus who is both fully divine and human? Or is it somebody else? Who, who hung? Question two, for what, for what reason did he hang on the cross for? Was it for the forgiveness of our sins in the working out of cosmic reconciliation? Or was it just a tragedy? Did he fail in his mission somehow? Why? For what reason did he, did he hang on the cross? Question number three, how is what he died for applied to the person, to the sinner? Is it purely by grace through, is it purely by uh, grace through faith or, or do we have to achieve and work and sprinkle a little bit of our behavior too? We have to subscribe something and follow this one person and leader. See, every single cult or devious teaching will err on one of those questions. 
Now, uh, I realize there may be someone saying, um, you know, like, that, that's nice of you to pick on some of these deviant teachings, but what about Christians? There's so, many, there's so much division. There's all these different denominations. There's different expressions of worship. Christians aren't even united. Now, there are differences, but we also have to weigh the differences because depending on how you weigh the differences, there could be more in common than meets the eye. So for example, in a marriage, a husband and a wife, their viewpoints on kale, it's not that important. They can disagree on kale. And I can tell some of the men are like, please do something for me right now. Help me, please. Right? Kale's not that big of a factor, but a husband and a wife, their view on the roles of a man and a woman in the context of marriage, that's a big deal. So though different churches, sure, uh, there may be secondary issues, expressions of worship, where there may be some variance. When it comes to uh, the issue of Calvary and the cross and those three questions, who hung? For what reason did he die? And how is that work applied to us? Many churches are actually in amazing agreement on that core issue. This is why if you've ever been to a Christian conference, you can tell that there are different types of Christians worshiping the same Jesus. And so the Christian knows that at the end of the day, an accurate Jesus is the issue. And that brings us to truth number three. Truth number three says that the Christian is spiritually abundant in the gospel. The Christian is spiritually abundant uh, in the gospel. You know, uh, there's something that uh, really burdens my heart, which is how Christians view Christian spirituality, how we view the outworking of our faith day to day. See, what burdens me is how so many Christians, they, they talk with this sense of uh, deficiency when they talk about their spirituality. Have you noticed that? Like, hey, have you read this, you know, latest Tim Keller book? No, I haven't read a single Tim Keller book. And we feel like, oh my gosh, have I sinned, right? Uh, oh, you know, are you serving? Oh no, you know, I haven't been able to. Hey, have you been doing this? And, and constantly we're just like, I'm sinning and I'm doing this wrong. And I don't know if I have that theology figured out. And so a lot of us right now, even if I were to ask you, how are you doing spiritually? We would actually describe our own spirituality as if we're in the red, as if we're deficient. Now, to be sure, the Christian should strive to grow in godliness, without a doubt, right? So Paul, um, he says that we should grow in the knowledge of his will, Colossians 1.9. 2 Peter 3.18, Peter says we should grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should strive to know, Acts 20.27, the entire counsel of God. That's what Paul said. He said, "I, I, I didn't hold back from preaching you the truth. I taught you the entire counsel of God. So we should strive to know and grow. Absolutely, plug for Growth 301, living in theology starting in December. So we should, without a doubt, I agree. However, If you know Jesus, if you affirm the right historic gospel, according to John, he would actually say, gosh, you're doing really well. In fact, there's this giant key component that you already know and believe in it and walk into. Here's what he says. I'll read it for us quickly. Chapter two, verse 20, John says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, saying Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the anointing and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know it. 
And because no lie is of the truth, jump down to verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing, again, the Holy Spirit that you receive from him, it abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything in relation to the gospel, and it's true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. He's saying, look, you know what the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you continually? Not only in salvation, but continually for the rest of your life, the gospel. See, we have this strange view of the Holy Spirit and the gospel. We often think that the Holy Spirit exists uh, to tell us something new and mysterious that we've never heard before. But actually, according to 1 John, the Holy Spirit delights to teach us the gospel and to take us deeper into the gospel. But you know, even the way that we view the gospel, have you noticed people talk about it as if it's just like this elementary thing that we only, it's like the, the key to enter uh, the kingdom, right? Like, you know, oh, it's the, the boring news, right? It's, it's, the, it's the good news, which becomes the old news when it's supposed to be the fresh news. We view it almost as if, you know, we're standing outside of the church doors and it's locked and someone's out there like, hey, excuse me, uh, What's the magic code? And we're like, the gospel. And like, come on in. Now you can learn the finer points of Christianity. You know, I love what Tim Keller said. He said, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A through Z of Christianity. The gospel is that which now recolors every other aspect of Christianity. God is trying to take us deeper into awareness and practice of the gospel. You're like, does obedience matter? Of course it does. We obey in view of God's mercies, Romans 12. Like what about repentance? Of course we must repent. We must daily have a change of mind and a change of direction about sin. Why? Because it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. What about evangelism? I totally agree. It matters. Why? Because it's about the saving message of Jesus. And so, yeah, all of us need to grow. All of us have places where we're deficient. But if you have the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a spiritual abundance, an overflow that is already occurring in your life. One of the, the, the difficulties or one of the, the pains, I think, of cults is that they, uh, deviant teaching always makes it feel like Jesus is not enough. Well, you have the gospel, that's it? You need a little bit more than that. John would say, no, if you have the gospel, you actually have a core, crucial, massive and major truth that is already in your life. The Christian experiences uh, spiritual abundance in the gospel, which brings us to our final truth. Truth four, the Christian is spiritually discerning because of the gospel. The Christian is spiritually discerning because of the gospel. See, um, there are many different strange forms of spirituality today. So how do we know? And I think one of the temptations for us, if you're anything like me, is, um, oh my gosh, like, can, can we set up a seminar or a workshop and learn about different cults? And, can we, and th- that might be helpful. But what may be most helpful is that we just really know the gospel. You know, they say that, you know, counterfeit money federal agents, do you know how they uh, determine what counterfeit money is? How they learn is actually not by studying a bunch of counterfeits. They actually take the authentic real thing and they just study it like crazy. They, they look at it, they feel it, they smell it, 
They don't taste it. I hope not. Maybe they do. Might be helpful. But they just know the authentic money really, really well so that whenever they come across something that's a counterfeit, they can pick it up right away. See, that, that's what John pushes for. I read it for us. Here's what he says in 1 John 2.24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he makes us eternal life. See, John is so wise. You know, at this time, he, he's old in his age. He's seen it all. And he does not say what you need is all sorts of new teaching to be more discerning. What he just says is if you really want to be spiritually discerning and acutely aware of what's true, of what's of the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, what he says is just remain in, in what you heard from the beginning. The, the gospel truth, just know that really well. Touch it. Smell it. Get to know it. Dive deeper into it. Love it. Treasure it. The Christian is spiritually discerning because of the gospel. You know, when we combine all of these truths together, uh, we can see how John's exhortation and his push for the church is, please do not believe everything that sounds spiritual, but be led by the spirit of truth. Because the Holy Spirit, I love his role in the life of the Christian. He has many roles, but one of the roles it's to continually bring us back into greater awareness of what we already have in Jesus in the gospel. Now, this, uh, this idea immediately uh, propels all of us into various uh, reflections and thoughts. For some of us, you, you may be here this morning and you honestly do not know where you stand with God. And you're wondering, am I of the spirit of truth or am I of the spirit of error? I, I don't know. And though a further dialogue may be helpful, my, my question and, and urge to you would be, what do you have to say about Jesus? Do you believe the Jesus of the Bible? Will you trust him? Will you trust that he is, yes, God and human and he died for sinners in the work of cosmic reconciliation. And, and you don't have to do good works to, to receive that salvation and right relationship with God. Will you trust him right now? Will you do that? For somebody else, um, others of us, we might be thinking, boy, I sure hope that person somewhere here responds to that truth. Because some of us were saying, I, I've known the gospel for a long time. So in terms of this idea, like, I'm good, I'm good. I know what's right. I know what's wrong. But then my question for you would be, but are you abiding in him? Are you remaining in him? Are, are you, do, you, do you love him? Do you, do you treasure Jesus presently? Or the way that we talk about our Christian spirituality, is it often just a reflection of the good old days of the past? Oh, I remember uh, when I was in college, well, I remember that was when I was really passionate about Jesus. That's when I really lived for Jesus. Or are we, are we pressing after him now? Do we seek him presently today? Will you abide? Will you fix your gaze upon him? Now, there may be someone here. For you, your reflection is not related to yourself, uh, but somebody else. Uh, because you might know someone. It might be a family member or a friend 
who actually has veered off into strange teaching. And for you, it's a, it's a point of great heartache for you. There may be just two encouragements if I could give you. One is, you know, there, there's probably going to be a prayerful combination of grace and truth and wisdom where you're going to have to probably walk into all three really prayerfully, that there might be a certain moment where maybe you can walk into truth more and have a conversation regarding truth, but there may be other seasons where you, you have to more walk into a, a season of, of just grace, but it, all of it's going to require wisdom and discernment, and so it's going to require prayer. That is difficult. It is not easy. But secondly, may, maybe he's also inviting you to believe. Believe that the Holy Spirit who is in you uh, is greater than the one who is at work in the world. Not just in you only, but one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. And, and his work is more powerful, stronger than the one who is at work in the world. And maybe he's encouraging you this morning and reminding you to believe that again. You know, I'll, I'll share this uh, story uh, in closing but it's a story about someone in our church, actually, and uh, she has given me permission to share her story, but I will not use her name. But this student, um, her parents were actually very heavily involved in a cult. And she was born into uh, that cult. And that was her reality and her existence throughout elementary, junior high, and high school. Uh, she was not heavily involved but that was the the context that she grew up in. Today, uh, as a college student, uh, she professes the historic tradition of the gospel. She believes and trusts Jesus as her Lord and Savior. You know that she's a member of our church. She's, She's part of a cell group. And she serves at our church proactively. And if you were to ask her, like, so what, what, what happened? How did, you, how did that shift come about? What she would say is, and again, in her own words, uh, she would say, on the one hand, she, she had a growing suspicion of some of the things that she was being taught. S- certain things sounded off, you know, like Jesus failed his mission. He was not really God. She says something felt off. But the other, the other thing on the other end was, um, in high school, a friend invited her to church. In college, she... Got, uh, she checked out a campus ministry and friends in that campus ministry invited her to a conference where she met Jesus. So on the one hand, is she a smart gal? She is. But on the other hand, was she fortunate that uh, right circumstances and right people were placed in her life? She is. But at the end of the day, who was really drawing her to himself? It was God. God was saving her. And God, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, was leading her every step of the way. And so he who is at work in us and convicting the world of sin is more powerful than the one who is in the world. And we can be thankful for that. So uh, living hope for all of us this morning, if you profess the name of Jesus, uh, please know that Jesus has anointed you meaning he has placed the Holy Spirit, God himself, in you. And he will lead you to truth by continually pointing you to Jesus, 
God who died and rose on our behalf. So in light of such marvelous truths, living hope, please do not believe everything you hear that sounds spiritual, but may we all be led by the spirit of truth. Let's pray.